It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 165, The Repentance of King Jehoahaz and the Fall of King Joash and Damascus. Around the time of Joash's revival in the south, Jehu in northern Israel dies. His son Jehoahaz succeeds him. At this time, all he really controlled was the hill country in northern Israel. Haziel of Aram dominated the countryside and burned and stole the harvest in the country. His soldiers controlled the valleys and fertile lands, yet he was unable to take the walled cities, and nor did it appear that he wanted to invest in lengthy sieges. His soldiers, by sheer force, though, ruled all but the highland areas or the walled cities. Basically, Haziel, by might and force and terror, ruled over northern Israel. 2 Kings 13 In the twenty-third year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned seventeen years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, which he caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and for a time he kept them under the power of Haziel, king of Aram, and Ben-Hadad, his son. So Jehoahaz is a disaster as a king. He was so bad the Lord's protection was lifted, empowering Haziel to overpower Israel. We will learn that it was so bad Jehoahaz only had 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and only 10,000 soldiers, all holed up in their cities. While the Bible says the rest of Jehoahaz's army was destroyed and Haziel made them like the dust at threshing time. Haziel must have been brutal. But something pretty amazing happens. There's a righteous root that springs up inside the line of Jehu, however temporary it was. 2 Kings 13.4 Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had done before. All right, so this is all it basically says. It says there was a deliverer provided by the Lord. Well, who's the deliverer, you ask? I sure did, because here's the rest of the verses. The Bible never tells us who the deliverer was. 2 Kings 13.6 But they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. See, See where I'm going? Well, who was this deliverer? The Bible says there was a deliverer. Who was it? The next verses don't help either. They jump ahead to this death. 2 Kings 13.8 And as for the other events of the reign of Jehoahaz, all he did and his achievements, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Jehoahash, his son, succeeded him as king. So only history can answer the question on who the Lord brought up as a deliverer. It's not in the Bible. We do know a few things. Elisha is still a quiet intercessor. His sheer prayers of faith could have brought down heaven's armies, but it said the Lord provided a deliverer. 
I'm going to suggest the Deliverer can only be found if you study history and look at our timelines. So now we've got to jump to Judah to explain what's going on as well before we get to who this Deliverer was. All right, in the south, in Jerusalem, Jehoiada dies at 130 years old after the revival and the ascent of Jehoahaz to the throne in the north. Now, after Jehoiada dies, King Joash goes weird on us, turned by sinful friends, potentially with an undealt-with trauma experienced as a youth, potentially falling for the age-old Solomon era. Joash just turns for the worst after the death of Jehoiada. 2 Chronicles 24:17. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by the order of the king they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see this and call you to account. So Joash quickly turns away from God and worships other gods and terminates the revival in Jerusalem and Judah. Further, the Lord sent him prophets, but he is so blinded by demons, he even orders the death of the son of Jehoiada. This horrible deed, murdering a prophet in the, in the grounds of the temple of Jerusalem, invites the judgment of the Lord. So when Joash kills the son of Jehoiada, and after he rejected the prophets, his protection is lifted, and this is in line with the invasion of Haziel into Philistia. Haziel is on campaign, and it goes splendidly well. He terrorizes northern Israel, and he invades Philistia and takes Gath. Then he turns on Jerusalem. Now he probably doesn't have a huge force at this point to to go after Jerusalem, just a fraction of his army, and he sends them on a raiding party into Judah to take spoil. But the guys he sends into Judah are the veteran bloodthirsty type after years and years of brutal oppression in northern Israel. And as these horsemen advance quickly into Judah, Joash was not prepared for any attack due to its success. After all, he wasn't officially at war with Haziel. But what did Haziel care? He lived and died by the sword. Haziel comes out with a stunning success due to the swiftness and aggressiveness of his attack. To consider his sin, this is Joash's sin, is related to the rising up of an army and invasion of his land, is a bit freaky. I mean, it's a profound thought. Sin opens the door to invasion of dark forces in a person's life, their family, a church, everything that that person covers. Sin is the door that opens to darkness, which rushes in like a horde to kill, still, and destroy. Second Chronicles 24-23 At the turn of the year, the army of Aram marched against Joash and invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. 
Although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, judgment was executed on Joash. When the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. It's like these guys come in and terrorize. They steal everything of value and transfer the wealth of Jerusalem to Damascus, kill the leaders of the people, and severely wound Joash, probably in torture to determine the location of Jerusalem's treasures. Haziel's guys finally leave Jerusalem trashed and impoverishing the place and full of death. Like before, the leaders and royal family were singled out for execution, but we know the Lord always has a righteous branch. What leaders left in Jerusalem conspire against their wretched king? Second Chronicles twenty four twenty five. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. So that's the end of King Joash in the south. It's sad to see a king who started so well end so poorly. Near the end of the reign of Jehoahaz in the north and Joash in the south, there was the righteous seeking of God by Jehoahaz, and it said that there would be a deliverer provided by God. Who is this deliverer? The answer is that weird provision of an enemy to my enemy. Haziel is unstoppable, it seems. He crushed so much in his sight, and he now has the riches of Jerusalem, and he's incredibly successful. Both states are impoverished, and Joash is severely wounded and about to be assassinated. Jehoahaz has been a failure, but he sought the Lord's favor. The answer is found only through the study of history. Around the time of these kings is a new lord of the Assyrians. He's the grandson of Shalmaneser III. You know, the very ambitious guy at the Battle of Karkar, and the one who documented the Black Obelisk. Well, he eventually died, and I failed to cover it. Sorry about failing to mention it, because he was the sixth character of that one generation. His death was uneventful, and the next king after him did little to speak of. Now, a new king is in charge over the Assyrians. His name is Adad Narari III, and he's even more ambitious than his grandfather. He immediately invades everywhere. One encyclopedia entry about him said he resumed a vigorous Assyrian expansion campaign in all directions. Now here's the fascinating part. As Jehoahaz seeks God, it says a deliverer was raised up. In the last year of the reign of Jehoahaz, many things happen. The first is the death of Haziel and Aram. It leaves the throne to his far less capable son, Ben-Hadad III. Upon the death of Haziel, his son becomes king, Ben-Hadad III. And it's around this time that Adad Narari attacks Aram. Now it's not his first time to invade Aram, but this time he attacks with such vigor he breaks through the walls of Damascus, and the mighty city of Damascus falls to Adad Narari III. Its capture set in motion the downfall of two nations, the state of Aram, and the eventual end of northern Israel. Damascus, which always stood against and held back the tide of the Assyrians, fell, leaving a giant trading and fortress city in the hands of the Assyrians. Soon we'll be covering more on the Assyrians. 
I have to believe this capture was humane by Assyrian standards. No significant bragging of atrocities can be found, and not as much as you you would think for such an important moment in history. But we have a significant biblical entry which ties everything together, and the Lord provided a deliverer. So in the last year of Jehoahaz's reign, he finds relief when Aramean horsemen leave him alone, and he is at peace in his land, no harassment from a foreign overlord. He's safe to be at peace for his final year, because the Arameans must flee because they're being attacked by the Assyrians. King Jehoahaz is at peace for his final year, but unfortunately, like Ahab, who repented before Elijah, yet didn't submit to God, Jehoahaz didn't submit or turn to God in its fullness as well, though he did receive God's mercy. Peace was in Israel because he sought the Lord's favor, and peace would remain for a while. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I have to go off one of those historical tangents, but first we have to reference how Joash just blew it and went after other gods and faced assassination in the end. What a horrible end to such a good beginning, which started with Jehoiada's revival. King Jehoahash repented, but it was more like one of those moments with Ahab. Repentance without surrender. It was repentance, yet he wasn't fully prepared to surrender to God though he cried out in his mercy. And when his sin invited death, he decided he didn't like his company. But when the Lord delivered him from death, he seemed to miss death and his sin. Kind of strange and weird, but it's the life cycle he chose. Yet his simple seeking of the Lord's favor resulted in the end of his enemies by another enemy and of prosperity in northern Israel, and even lasting to the next generation. All right, now our historical tie. It's totally interesting to me that Jehoahash cried out, and the Lord provided a deliverer, and it was the enemy of his enemy. It's just super weird when you consider England was fighting alone against Nazi Germany, and they honestly had nothing to do with Russia, but when Russia went to war with Germany, they were more than happy to be allied with the enemy to their enemy. To, to think the Assyrians were God's idea of deliverance from Aram is really bizarre, but God answers our prayers in ways we never expect. It's all the more fascinating when we learn later that after the death of Adad Narari III, and later on, internal dissent occurs leading to civil war in Assyria, allowing northern Israel to expand even into Damascus proper. This internal fracturing of the Assyrian Empire will allow Israel to expand to Solomon-type heights, which we'll cover later. Assyria was God's answer to ending the power plays of Aram, and God is setting a greater stage for a greater play as northern Israel and Judah will face off not with the neighboring nation-state, but the Assyrian world empire a few generations from now. Have you ever seen God answer a prayer different than you expect? I have. It's good to write down your prayers and then go back and see how he answers them. It's just fascinating when it's rarely ever how you expect for God to answer your prayer. God's power and might comes to answer our prayers, and the way it happens, it's incredible and full of amazing testimonies. And we can't help but point out 
again the power of the repentance of this king. Oh well, and to what heights God goes to answer our prayers and to get our attention. King Jehoahash sought the Lord's favor. He didn't even submit to him, but he sought him. And the Lord's answer was a massive geopolitical change on the face of the earth. If our reference to God's answer as to the seeking of a single king for the favor of the Lord was a changing of the political situation on the entirety of the earth, then imagine, you kings of the earth, if we all sought God's favor. You would imagine we could almost tilt the axis of the earth with such an aggressive pull on heaven, and then imagine the shaking when the Lord answered the honest seeking of his face. If one desperate king sought the Lord's favor, and in and he was not even a righteous king, and in turn a nation was overthrown. What more would the impact be when thousands of kings sought the favor of the Lord, and how much greater would it be when this favor is revealed and believers walk into their inheritance, not as a temporary blessing of repentance, but an ongoing lifestyle of God's favor as sons and daughters walking in their inheritance. I just love the end of Moses' song, Psalm ninety seventeen. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the works of our hands. Yes, establish the works of our hands. And let us pray these words over our lives to walk in God's favor, a steadfast favor, not a temporary one of repentance, but an ongoing lifestyle committed to seeking God's face. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the works of our hands. God, I pray this scripture over the listeners that your favor rest upon us, and this great favor, this presence of your Holy Spirit, your steadfast love moves us and propels us, and you use our hands to fulfill your work on the earth. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.